Every so often there is a movie that provides a profound truth that we need to grasp onto and to live it out in our lives. I'd like to show you a clip of one of those profound truths. Hey, Mr. Grumpy Gills. When life gets you down, you know what you gotta do? I don't wanna know what you gotta do. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. What do we do? We swim, swim. Doreen O'Sangy. I love to swim in Doreen. When you want to swim, you want See, to See, I'm gonna get stuck now with that song now it's in my head. Sorry. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. I hope you get that song stuck in your head. But I want to change one word. You see, in Finding Nemo, Dory has the understanding that whether you're lost, whether you're confused, whether you're uncertain, whether you're lonely, whether you're afraid, whether you're celebrating, just keep, and here's the word change, seeking. If I can get you to leave here this morning with a song in your head, and listen, the worship team did great, and those are phenomenal songs. But if you leave here and all you're singing is just keep seeking, just keep seeking, then you have understood the whole message. Then you have understood exactly where we are as we deal with the book of Second Corinthians, I'm sorry, Second Chronicles, and the concept of renewal or revival. We have used as a theme over all that we are doing this phrase. Renewal flows from a prayerful response to our spiritual dissatisfaction. And I don't care where you are in your spiritual journey. Whether you're not quite certain yet about this stuff about Jesus and his death and resurrection or whether you're new to it, or whether you've been walking in it for 5 or 10 or 15 or 50 or 100 years. The fact is there is always more. And there there should always be just a sense of, Lord, I want more of you. I want to know you more fully. I want to, can you go back to the old God spell, see you more fully, know you, you know, more deeply, whatever it was. But when we're aware that there's more and that we long for more, we respond with that prayerful reaction. And we've been using this passage as the foundation of what we're talking about. Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will, and then he lists four things. Humble themselves. That's what Dave talked about 
last week as he reminded us, as Rehoboam came to that understanding that, God, I am insufficient before you. You are God and I am not. I need you in all that I do. God, I am insufficient before you, both in terms of my own individual righteousness and my own individual power, and I come to you like a deer in a desert, panting. Because, Lord, I know that in and of myself there is insufficiency. Humble yourself. Pray. Gene will deal with that next week, and we've been teasing him. It's the keystone of the whole series. He has all of the pressure of the series on his shoulders. Not really. But we need to ask God. God, I long to know you more fully. I long to know you. This morning, we're going to talk about what does it mean to seek my face? And then in two weeks, we're going to talk about what does it mean to turn from our wicked ways. When we do that, God says, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins. And I will, and here's the phrase, heal their lands. And again, this is not a political declaration. What it means is I will restore to those who respond in this way, both individually and in the case of Israel nationally, I will restore the enjoyment of my covenantal, of my relational blessing. To my people. Whether or not God chooses to bring about change in our nation, we'll see in a few moments. That's according to his sovereignty. But those that choose to humble themselves, to seek God's face, to pray, and to turn from their wicked ways, I will guarantee that if we do that, then we will know God's relationship and God's blessing in ways we did not know before. Now, I'm not promising more money. I'm not promising a bigger house. I'm not promising more well-behaved kids. But I am saying the enjoyment of who God is and what he is doing in my life That will take place. Now in that, you see those four phrases, and the writer of 2 Chronicles takes them out of order a little bit, but he'll talk about five times of revival, five times when God responds to these things, to the prayer of Solomon, and God moves in this amazing way. Last week, Dave talked about Rehoboam, who came and humbled himself before God. And as a result, God, in a unique way, allowed his spirit to just come across the people and to bring victory before them. This morning, we're going to talk about the third king of this divided kingdom, north and south. The third king of the south, Rehoboam was the first. Asa is the third. There are two unrighteous, and yes, Rehoboam was considered an unrighteous king. And the third one is a man by the name of Asa. 
And what we know about Asa is found there in Second Chronicles 14 and verse 2, and that is he did good and right in the sight of God. Rehoboam would learn about humility. Asa will learn what it means to seek God's face. Next week, Gene will talk about my favorite name in all of Scripture, Jehoshaphat. Don't you love that? Don't name your kid that. <laughs> Jehoshaphat will come to an understanding of prayer. And then we'll speak about Hezekiah. and He comes to understand what it means to turn from their wicked ways. And then Second Chronicles goes back again to Josiah and talks about humility. And that's called an envelope. It's called a bracketing. It's called an inclusio. And what it means is this is a major theme in the book of Second Chronicles. How is it that we are revived, renewed, restored? Now this week we talk about seek my face, seek his face. What does that mean? Well, we need to come and understand this, that renewal, restoration, revival involves an all-encompassing commitment to seek God. And I want to challenge us this morning and ask us to ask ourselves, is that true in my life? Is that the all-encompassing commitment in my life that dominates and overshadows every area of my life to seek God? Because if I understand, as Dave said last week, that God is God and I am not, if I understand that all that I have and all that I am and all that I will be, the very breath that I breathe, the very things that I see, the very possessions that I enjoy, all of it comes from God. And that in my own righteousness, I am never enough because in my own self, in my own flesh, there is selfishness and self-centeredness and rebellion. If that is true, that I need God. Lord, I need you. And how is it that we seek that? How do we pursue that? How do we find him? The one that our humility reminds us that we are totally and completely dependent upon. The first question is this, what does it mean? What does it mean to seek God's face? That's one of those religious terms that we throw around, and I, I get really frustrated. I, I, there's some places that I go and I interact with people, and they're, they're people who are sort of theological in their background, and they just use one spiritual platitude after another spiritual platitude after another spiritual platitude. And I just want to look at them, and I've actually done it and gotten in trouble. Just look at them and say, what does that mean? 
What do those words mean? Lay it at the cross. You know, stand in his wonder. All those kinds of things. But what does it mean to seek God's face? Well, let me begin with a definition. It is this. Seeking God's face is an all-encompassing commitment to pursue the presence of God. That's my relationship with him. To seek to have everything in my life draw me closer to him and remove everything from my life that draws me away from him. It's an all-encompassing commitment to pursue the presence of God. That's the relationship. The word and character of God. That's the knowledge. That's the understanding. That's the understanding of what God calls me to be and what God calls us to do and, and, and what God is like and how we're to reflect that in our lives. God, I want to know what it means to drive my car in a way that reflects your word and your character. Lord, I want to know what it means to be in high school or junior high at my desk and studying in a way that reflects your word and your character. God, I want to sit in my rec room and doing whatever it is that I am doing in a way that reflects your word and your character. The knowledge. In Isaiah, as God was inviting the people to renewal in their lives, he says, come, let us, what? Reason. No. And then finally, I seek to do the will of God. Once I know him, that's the relationship. That's trusting Christ and what he accomplished and beginning that relationship with Christ and with God because of his forgiveness. And as I know his word and his character, I choose then to live in that way. That's what it means to seek the Lord. This week we had an example of that. Some of you are not going to like this video. But there was someone that got up and said, you know what, I don't care what the consequences are. My first purpose is to be obedient to God. I I can't let personal considerations, uh, if you will, overwhelm my conscience and overwhelm my oath to God. This for me is is a, if you will, it's a, well, it's the most difficult decision I've ever made in my life. There's been nothing that compares to this. And and what about the blowback that it's going to come from the president? I I understand it will be substantial. Um, and uh, and I have to recognize that it was one or the other. One is to say, I don't want to face the blowback. I don't want to, whether not just from the president, but from my party, from my state, from Republican voters. They'll ascribe all sorts of motives and so forth, uh, and, and uh, those are all the consequences. But on the other side, there is, do you do what you know is right? Do you do what your, your conscience and your heart tells you? Do, you? do you abide by the oath that you swore to God? And I, I believe in God. And I believe I have a responsibility to put that first and to put all those other consequences well behind. Listen, I don't know whether he was sincere or not. 
That's not for Fox News or CNN or radio hosts or anything like that to determine. That's for God to determine. Please stop judging. I don't know if he made the right decision. That is way above my pay grade. History will tell us. I don't agree with his theology. Romney's a Mormon. I don't agree with his understanding of how to come to God. But man, I agree with what he expressed. I agree with the declaration. And the reason why I chose this is to get us to hear beyond the pundits, beyond everything else, beyond the judgmentalism. And to hear that phrase that proclaims what it means to seek the face of God. And I I believe in God. And I believe I have a responsibility to put that first and to put all those other consequences well behind. I believe in God. I believe I need to seek him first and put everything else behind. Now, I don't know if I would vote for Mitt Romney or not. That's for you to determine. Thankfully, we don't live in Utah for many reasons. But that truth, beloved, that was profound. That's what our lives should mean. And as I hear that, one of the things that I'm aware of, I often can do that in the big decisions. Do I move from Louisiana to Pennsylvania 10 years ago next month? Oh, I remember seeking the face of the Lord. Should I marry Cindy or not? Actually, she should have been the one that really sought the face of the Lord. You know, the biggies. But seeking the face of the Lord is not in the biggies alone. It's a moment-by-moment reality in our lives. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. About once a year, I need you. Is that what we sing? Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Once a week, I need you. Is that what we see? Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Once a day, I need you. Is that what we sing? Or do we sing, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, every moment, I need you. are we doing on that? If I stopped you at three in the afternoon tomorrow and said, when was the last time you sought God? If I stopped you at seven, okay, for me, 6.30, the news hour. 
It said, when was the last time you sought God? How do we make it real in the day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour? Well, it's found in the text. And it is actually the key phrase of this entire passage. It's found in Isaiah chapter 15. And it's found there in verse 3. As God is coming and he's saying through the prophet. And by the way, whenever a narrative is invaded by a speech, take notice. The speech is important. And he says there, the Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake Not meaning you don't have a relationship with anymore, but you're not enjoying that relationship, that covenant. And then he defines it. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without priests to teach them a community in which to learn, and without the law, without the word. How is it that we take this once a week, once a day, once whatever, and make it real and practical on a day-by-day level? Well, it involves these three things. It involves, (coughs) excuse me, it involves a commitment to consistently commune with God. Interact with his people. That's the priest, that's the community, that's the place that I learn about what it means to follow God and where I can come and communicate to others about it. And where I commit to constantly obey his word. Now the first one deals with communing with God. It talks about that one-on-one, that time that I spend and I have God on my mind and I'm thinking about him. I was reading about the Benedictine monks. I know, isn't that a great thing to read about? And we know how fast-paced a monk's life was, right? Do you know how often in a day they stopped to think about God? Eight times. Now, if a monk needs to stop and think about God, How much more do we do in our fast-paced, busy, frenetic lives? They would have vespers or devotions eight times a day where they would stop and they would gather to pray and to sing, to focus their thoughts again on God. How do we do that? Well, can I give you a couple of suggestions? One of them is found in your bulletin. And it's a sheet that looks like this. I found this online. It's a, it's a really kind of interesting group. But it's, it's, it's a worksheet to say, I'm going to pick one area of my life. It's based on Brother Lawrence's Practicing the Presence of God. It's a book that has been important in spiritual understanding for millennium. Uh, no, centuries. Got a little exaggerated. 
for centuries. He was a monk and he said, I want to learn how to practice God's presence when I'm doing the dishes, when I'm doing the gardening, when I'm doing whatever. And so what he decided to do was to, in those events, in those situations, in those activities, ask this question, what does the presence, the will, the character, and the word of God, how does that impact how I'm washing dishes? How I'm gardening? And so before you is a worksheet. Use it this week if you like. And pick one area in your life where you're going to ask God to allow his presence to be there. Maybe it's studying for the test. Maybe it's driving in the school bus. Maybe it's brushing your teeth in the morning. Maybe it's, if you're a true sinner, making that first cup of coffee. I'm a Christian. I don't drink coffee. Maybe I am a Mormon. No, I'm not. God, how does your presence your character, your will, and your word affect my attitude and how I do this. That's what the worksheet is for. But let me talk about something else. I hate this. I hate it because it controls so many people's lives. I do not like it. In fact, my, my kids will tell you, if they're over at my house and we're eating, you don't check your cell phone. And yes, I give them dirty looks. And heaven forbid I ever pick mine up. But I want to redeem this. I know some of you, it's amazing to me. You get a text and 30 seconds later, I have a response. Which means in your day, I don't care how frenetic it is, you find a time to respond. I know that some of you, if this thing dings or vibrates, hopefully it vibrates during the service. You'll pick it up and you'll take it. Some of you are looking at it right now. Can I redeem this thing? I guarantee you, you have a stopwatch on here somewhere. Set it for every two hours or every four hours or every six hours. And when it goes off in your pocket or your purse, you can put it on vibrate, that's okay. For the next 30 seconds, Ask yourself this, God, in the middle of what I'm at right now, what would it mean to practice your presence, your character, your will, or your word? Now, those of you who are in school, you probably can't do that. Just do it after school. But imagine what it would be like to have this in your pocket, and you're right in the middle of that tense meeting, Or you're right in the middle of that argument with your spouse. Now, don't worry. Cindy and I never argue, so it's okay. Yeah, right. Thanks, Marsha. That's the right response. But imagine that vibrates. 
And suddenly you say, I wonder what it means right now to practice the presence, the character, the will, and the word of God. Would it change things? My guess is yes. Do it every six hours. Do it every four hours. Do it every two hours. But find a way to practice the presence of God. The second thing there is be with his people. Beloved, I'm so amazed at how little we value being together with other believers. And I'm not saying this should be the the extent of your relationships. Heaven forbid. Meganoita. But this is the place. Small groups are the place. Bible studies are the place where we understand and we see God's word and his presence and his will lived out. It's where we get to do it on a one-on-one basis, on a, on a one-another basis. I learn how to be forgiven and how I, how to be forgive or how to forgive. I hear God's word proclaimed. I, I see God's people singing. And yes, clapping. And I see the celebration and the rejoicing. And maybe I'm not there. I value that. Both in terms of the input in my life, but beloved, even more importantly, the input I have opportunity to do in the lives of others. Value it. Some people, there's even a forecast of rain and, oh, can't go this morning. It's going to be too bad. Value it. And then finally, learn to obey his word. And what that is, is understanding that, God, when I disobey you, I don't enjoy the fellowship. There are blessings I will miss in disobedience. We don't have time this morning because of kind of the focus. But read chapter 16, and here's this wonderful King Asa who is said to do good and right before God, but then he stops seeking God. And the result is he loses out on the blessing and the relationship. God, I don't want to do anything that would make me distant from you. And God, I want to pursue everything that allows me to enjoy it. When you do that, stay consistent. Asa did it for 15 years. Through difficulty and hardship. Through the war with Zerah the Cushite when Egypt would invade them again like he had done during the time of Rehoboam. And Asa sought the Lord. Through the continual removal of idolatrous um, symbols and activities in the land, as syncretism would, would, would raise its, its ugly head over and over, and Asa for 15 years consistently 
sought the Lord. Even though in his own family would become disloyal and follow false gods, his grandmother, he continued to seek the Lord for 15 years. And then something happened. See, what does God do when we seek him like that? Well, the first thing he does is he says, I'll be found. You will get to know me in a way you never knew me before. That's that verse that we read. Remember that, that, that speech right in the middle of the narrative. If you seek me, I will what? Be found. You will know God in a way. Now, I'm not promising that all the problems will go away. In fact, probably the opposite. But I will say you will know God. His faithfulness. His presence. His comfort. His love. When we seek him, we enjoy the fullness of our relationship with him and the covenantal blessings he longs to give to us. As you sow, that's how you reap. As you pursue, as you pursue the Spirit, seek the Spirit, he, bring, he brings into our lives the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and gentleness and kindness. It doesn't mean everything goes well. But for 15 years, Asa knew the presence of God in a powerful way. And then sometimes, periodically, he brings revival. Boom. Suddenly you come to Second Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 12. After 15 years of faithfulness, it says the people sought a covenant to seek the Lord. And there was this amazing work of God. What we define it as renewal is may lead to a sovereign, unique, periodic, and temporary outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Revival. Meant to revitalize his people. Accomplished through normal spiritual practices. That day by day seeking the Lord. And all of a sudden, what happens? Nominal Christians become saved. The northern tribes start coming down to the south saying something's going on. And the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim, I noticed you didn't go, woo, when, when Dave read that. That's the nominal people. They're saved. The people of Judah, those that have been walking in obedience, suddenly God is overwhelming them with a sense of his presence. And they get rid of even more of those idolatrous things in their lives. They make a new commitment to the Lord. They're willing to deal with things in their families. And Asa says, great-grandmother, actually grandmother, you can't do this anymore. And even their enemies 
the northern king, Basha, takes notice what's happening. It's happening so much that he says, I've got to stop this or I'm going to lose all my people. <clears throat> Revival breaks out. Beloved, seek the Lord. Seek his face. And all these things will be added. Father, thank you so much for this passage. May we be people that seek you on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis. May we learn what that means more and more in our lives to your honor and to your glory. And it's in the name of your Son we pray. Amen.